Professionals take your business to the next level. Get ready to ride along on our inaugural summer road tour powered by Echo and their amazing lineup of products online at echo-usa.com. We are traveling the country, talking with green industry leaders, discovering best practices and practical strategies to maximize profits. Now, here's your host, Paul Jamison. What's up, everybody? I'm here in Frederick, Maryland with my friend Ed Wright, the CEO of Wright Manufacturing. Warren, it's good to be with you. Good to be here. If you guys hear some noise in the background, they're cranking out about 20 mowers, what, every how long? Well, we're making one about every 10 and a half minutes right now. Yeah. So that's what's going on behind us. And uh, we are in a side conference room and you're going to share us the story of Wright Manufacturing. That's right. Yeah. So when did you all get started? So the business started um, in the early 80s and and my parents out of college uh, started getting involved in landscaping. And um, so they were were doing that for a while and um, building the business and building business and they were meeting different challenges to growth. And at that time, it was all belt drive or gear drive type walk behinds. And from a productivity standpoint, well, the first first, uh, product they made was the uh, grass catcher. Okay. A lot of grass catchers were kind of a cloth bag and they'd fall apart in this type of thing. And so they built yeah. this steel catcher and they started selling it back to their dealer. And that began uh, a manufacturing business in the winter and then everybody was cutting grass in the summer. And so there was this, this cycle, annual cycle to it. So that was working well for a while. And then um, j- around that time, personal be- computers became more of a thing. And so um, they began developing software to manage billing, scheduling, routing. Mm-hmm. And it was actually one of the very first... Um, CRM landscape landscape contractor software. Okay. So they built it for their business at first, and as they got it rolling, they then spun off a software business um, that does building, scheduling, routing, this type of thing. Um, still, still uh, a very good business today. Clip, uh, okay. Clip software, and um, they've got several different packages. Some some op- some options work with QuickBooks if that's how you manage your accounting, and, and then they've got some online versions and that kind of thing. So um, that was one of the the pieces of, and that's that's a lot of the sequence of our business was how do we improve what we're doing? And it was very much focused on landscape operations. So I think today that makes us um, a, a unique manufacturers that we see from a landscaping standpoint. And then when did you start making these stand-on mowers? Between the software piece and when we started making mowers, there was, a, there was another succession of things that happened. We came out with the Velky Sulky little wheel you put behind a walk behind mower. You invented it or you, or you came out with kind of what was we, already we happening? Invent, we invented it and came out, came out with it. There's nothing like so that. So the that Velky, time. sulky type thing you stand on, that was someone's idea from your exactly. and, family and, line. And actually, uh, it was Jim Velky. Okay. Uh, in, in, there you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so at that time, he was our, our uh, fleet mechanic and he was taking care of all the equipment and that kind of thing. And he had a lot of, a lot of good engineering skills and that kind of thing. And so the need at the time was, uh, you know, it, it, when that came out was in the transition between gear drive walk behinds and when the hydrostatic walk behind mowers came out. Okay. So the hydrostatic mowers could go a lot faster. You can make an instant turn. You go backwards, all these different types of things. And so in order to, you know, these, these machines were getting the speed where, you know, you'd walk 20 miles a day and, you know, we were burning through 
employees. You know, we, you, you, it was a young man's game. Maybe, yeah. maybe a young person would do this for a year or two and then be burnt out. Yeah. And um, in order to retain people and get more done, get help help our crews be more effective and less burnt out, came out with the Velky. So now you can keep up that speed behind the machine with all the, all the walking. And the unique thing about the Velky, and it's it's still the unique thing today about it compared to some of the other sulkies, is that you can instantly go back with backwards with the machine and it swings underneath so you don't have to back it up like a trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the Velky was one of our... Um, our manufacturing products that really put us into manu- into year-round manufacturing, mm-hmm. and and that was in the late '80s. So and those uh, are made for all all different m- mowing companies. Yep. Mm-hmm. You would sell it to them yep. or to the in, the home or the person who would buy the mower would buy it. Yep. So to a great question, we actually have two distribution channels. One, our mower distributors and mower dealers are all typically larger dealers, and mm-hmm. they're spaced out in a lot of the uh, different metropolis areas throughout the country. Mm-hmm. And our accessory dealers. Um, you'll find an accessory dealer that sells Velky, uh, one dealer, and across the street, you'll see another one that sells the same thing. It's it's an accessory line. Mm-hmm. And it actually gets distributed a little bit differently. So I, I talk about the Velky because it's a really important component to the stand-on business. Mm-hmm. The idea of a stand-on mower was really just an extension of the idea of the Velky. So um, Bill and Jim at the time were working on improving this Velky idea. And actually our first machine, we were running all skags. It was one of the best mowers out there. What the was time. your relations to them? Uh, Bill's my dad and Jim was our fleet mechanic at the time. Okay. Yep. We were running all skags at the time and hydro walk behinds. And what Jim did is he took a uh, skag walk behind mower, he chopped it up, welded the parts all back together. So now the platform was between the wheels on the machine. You didn't have to have this Velky. So the first stand on mower was really a walk behind sized machine. Today they're the size of ZTRs, but for the most part. What um, year was this when you reconfigured the skag that you could stand on it? Well, you'd have to remember, it had to have been uh, probably 90, 91. Wow. Um, in, in my context in this thing, I was born in 84. Okay. So uh, I, was, I was a kid running around watching all the neat stuff going on. So they, they came up with this idea. They realized that there was some opportunity to patent it. Uh, we got patent protection on the idea. And actually, we didn't think that we were capitalized to go, to, to go into you know, large-scale manufacturing with it. So we actually tried to sell the idea, but most of the people we work with thought it was going to take a long time to get it to market. You know, it's just such a, such a strange idea. You're going to stand on a lawnmower. And so, um, so we went, we went on it on our own and, um, you know, we just, the first year we made 83 mowers on the floor and, uh, got in the game. This is at your house or this, out this in is, the backyard? Or? This is the shop where we were making the Velkies. So okay. it wasn't that big of a, a place back then. It was all wet paint. You know, it was, it was a challenge. It's not like manufacturing is today. Yeah. Uh, no laser cutting, you know, this, you were dealing with a completely different process. We got in the game and also around that time, um, guy by the name of Dane Skag, who actually had owned Bobcat mowers at one point, And he, he actually founded Skag and sold that to Metalcraft of Mayville. So that's the Skag name that, that you might know today. And then, so the Bobcat with the green mowers yep. sold mm-hmm. to Skag? No, so I don't, I think he bought Bobcat when it was a struggling snowblower company, okay. which is why it's called Bobcat, like a snow, snow cat. Yeah. Um, well, he really got that business off the ground and into the walk behind segment. Um, Dane Skag was a really interesting guy. He's, he was, a, I think he was a nuclear engineer. Um, just, you know, I, I admire certain things about what he did. He just had a real focus on his customers. He, mm-hmm. would, he would visit with all his customers and he'd go back and a week later, he would change his products to make them better. And that's something you don't see that much in, in today's world. So uh, Dane Skag, um, he created a third business along the way called Great Dane Power Equipment and um, sort of a canary yellow machine that was in, in the market for a couple of years. And he had a profound ability to get a business off the ground like 
instantly. He also had a record of taking people's patent filings and beating them to market and then trying to compete with, you know, get his business ahead to the point where he can fund a lawsuit on the patent on the patent side. So we ended up in a patent lawsuit for a number of years with, with uh, Dane Skag over this whole issue of stand on mowers. And it just about smothered us, but we, uh, we fought it, we fought it hard and uh, put every dime we put could towards it. And um, eventually there was a, a settlement uh, in our favor. And so Technically, he made the first, he sold the first stand on mower before we did, um, and then there was that dispute for a number of years. <clears throat> so that was around '97, I think. We got into stand on stand on business. And we had one product, one one product line. Uh, I think it was two deck sizes originally, or maybe three. And then since then, it's really been about improving our product, focusing on on our customers' needs. I think we have a, a lot of people in the manufacturing space when they look at designing a product, they say. Um, what are the other products that are in the market? What are the products that are successful? We want to be best in class. What are the price points? And so uh, it's feature matching. Mm-hmm. And I think what we do, we look at that differently. We look at, instead of feature matching, we really believe that we need our landscape customers to be profitable. If they're not profitable, Amen. they're not coming back for the next machine. And I tell, our, I tell our team all the time, I say, we're not concerned with selling somebody their first machine what we're doing is we want to sell them their second machine because that means the first machine you delivered on the promise of quality and performance and productivity and all those other things. We very much have kind of an end game perspective on, on the design of the equipment. I was just at Naylor's house and to see he's all about route, you know, density and efficiency and to meet his son and his wife. It's like this real family that we're cutting grass, but he's got a wife to feed and kids. And then, you know, I was the night before that, I was at Mitchell Gordy's. Mm-hmm. He uses right, he's got, I think, what, 72? Yep, mm-hmm. yep, he's got a dually. And I mean, I'm in his home and it's like, yes, it, these machines we use to cut grass, but it's providing for our families, you know? It's, so it's just cool to see behind, in people's homes and in the warehouse and just connect all the dots. Like, yeah, I, you care about us and we care about our families. And it's, it all just goes together. That's something that's really near and dear to me, actually. I think, um, one of the things I love the most about this business is the entrepreneurship. The, the type of people that are in this business are, are the folks that, you know, they want to go it alone. They want, they want to create success mm-hmm. um, and they're entrepreneurial minded and uh, they get into it. And, and honestly, it's not always the easiest track. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to work for, for somebody else who, you know, they just give you a check, pay, paycheck every week. Uh, it's a lot harder to be responsible for your own paycheck and your profit and your losses and all these. But it's also really rewarding. And, and that's one of the things I love about this industry. For anyone who has a strong work ethic and they're, they're just really eager to, be, to, make, to, make six, to create success, um, it's, that's there for anybody in this business. And, um, and I think you know, my, my own experience in this and, and something that I always remember, I'll, I'll never forget this, but I was probably three years old at the time and the business was just getting going. And in that time period, there was some serious droughts. Actually, I think it, like 10,000 people in the U.S. died from these droughts. Wow. Just So we had customers canceling, you know, one after the other, the other, and cash flow became a problem. And so my parents sold their house in the middle of the summer in order to keep funding the business and keep it going. And, and we moved into a relative's house for a couple of months while we were kind of going through that transition. But I just remember that, you know, there's some serious challenges and struggles and, you know, you never know what uh, can bring in. But you, know, you stick with it and there could be a lot of success. And I just, that, that's something where anytime I see a mower coming off the line, I look at it and I say, somebody's going to take this machine and you spend a couple of years of their life on it. And they're going to feed their family. They're going to send their kids to college. They're going to pay their mortgage with this machine. And when we build the machine, we need to remember that. We're not just you know, cranking out another unit. We are building something that's creating someone's livelihood. 
Yeah. And efficiency is everything. Like, you know, I have a shoulder injury and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm nursing back to health and my back just to be able to stand on something is like, it, it saves your body. Cause yeah. we do a lot of smaller yards, but I was, you know, push mowing a 30 inch mower for years mm-hmm. and it, 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 it takes a wear and tear on your body. More of Paul's interview with Ed Wright is on the way. This is Marty, and you're enjoying our first-ever road tour here at the Green Industry Podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Echo, for making all of this happen. And before we hear a word from our regular sponsors, I want to let you know that if you've got a business, a service, a product that our growing audience needs to hear about, drop us an email at greenindustrypodcast at gmail.com, greenindustrypodcast at gmail.com, and someone from our advertising team, I promise you, someone from the ad team will get right back to you. Lawn and landscape pros need to keep their competitive edge, and the easiest way to do that is by attending GIE Plus Expo this October 21st through the 23rd. There's only one word to describe the biggest action-packed experience in the outdoor equipment industry. Wow! Over a thousand indoor exhibits wall-to-wall with innovative products and the latest technology. Talk face-to-face with the engineers that design your favorite equipment. Then step outside and dive into the hands-on demo area where you can drive, dig, and compare equipment to your heart's delight. This year, the wow gets even bigger with the new UTV test track, the hands-on drone zone, and free parking. <laughs> free parking! Register now at GIE-Expo.com and we'll see you in Louisville, Kentucky this October. The hardscapeacademy.com is the place to go to become the next professional hardscaper. Check out Caleb Allman's How to Install Pavers and How to Install Retaining Walls Comprehensive Guides. You will learn all the techniques and information necessary to perform the installation of these features based on industry standards, including tips and tricks that Caleb has learned over the past 20 years of hardscaping. The courses are immediately available via online streaming for just $99 each. Go to the hardscapeacademy.com and that link is in today's show notes. The Green Industry Podcast Summer Tour, powered by Echo, rolls on. Once again, here's your host, Paul Jamison. So, Ed, I want to ask you this. Born in 84, yep. walk us through your life, and it can mix with sure. the right story, but... Yep. Tell it. What were you doing? Were you working at a golf course? Were you sure. working at McDonald's sure. as a kid? What where, 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 you? Where were your first jobs? And how'd you become the CEO of this? And then when we answer that, I yeah. want to ask you about your age. Okay. What it's like to have people double your age when you're their <laughs> boss. So, so that's where we want to that's, go with this. Yeah, thing. that's so, an interesting thing. 1984. So, walk yeah. us to how you got to the this seat today. Yeah. I've always had a very mechanical aptitude. I've, I've loved to look at how things work. You know, I I was known for, you know, people would give me the broken stuff and I'd take it apart or I'd make new things from it and building go-karts, that kind of stuff. So, um, I, I just, I just really love the, the, that side of it. And then the other thing is, you know, I, as a kid, I always did whatever I could to get up in the factory whenever I could. So I worked here in the summers and breaks, you know, anytime there's a day off or whatever. Um, I was in the factory, I was learning something. I was, building something. I think my, my first full summer, I saved up every penny I had and bought myself a motocross bike. That was fun. So, so then, uh, once I was out of high school, I studied mechanical engineering. This is in college. Yep. Where'd you go to college? Up at uh, Geneva. It's a, a Christian college up in, uh, just North of Pittsburgh. Okay. It was, that was a very good experience. Uh, coming out of that, you know, I, I very much, uh, love the, me- the mechanical side of what I was doing, the equipment side. I was still trying to figure out, you know, where was I headed in life? And, um, I had a friend of mine who had been to, to Uganda working with a mission there and said, Hey, you should really look, check this out, get involved. 
And so I went out there for a short term uh, thing. And um, I was part of what this mission was doing. It, it pulled in some of the mechanical skills. They, they ran a, kind of a work for food type farm mm-hmm. and a, a clinic. And they also had an outreach. And so and, and it was kind of in the middle of Savannah, like, you know, the, the nearest city was 100 miles away oh, off wow. road type of thing. So all the infrastructure was, you know, do it yourself. And so uh, we were putting in wells and, and working on the facilities of the clinic and that kind of stuff. So um, I loved it. And I went back there. I was on and off in Uganda and Sudan for about a year, um, built a number, number of projects. I actually was starting to go down the road of, of looking at getting into the manufacturing of portable well drilling equipment. There's a, there's a gap in that market today even where they've got these really small portable well machines that you can, you can do a shallow well near a riverbed. Mm-hmm. And then up from that, you're talking about half million dollar equipment. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like there was something in that space where you could have a rig that was a lot more productive. You could go through some rock with it, but it was light enough you could pull a pickup truck. So uh, I designed and built a prototype uh, machine like that with, a, with another guy who's working out there. Uh, I, I did the machine side. He did some of the other equipment side of it. And so we put that together. Ultimately, it didn't come together as a viable thing. Um, but I learned a lot mm-hmm. from that, from that, those, those years there. And after that, I, you know, I had to settle down a little bit more in life, have a long-term view on where I was going to get income from and that kind of thing. And, uh, so I started working for the business, um, full-time, uh, in mechanical engineering, what year uh, was drafting, this? uh, in the early 2000s, I don't know, 2004 or five, somewhere in there. Okay. Um, you're still a single fellow? This, yep. You're already mm-hmm. married at yep. this point? Okay. Well, we'll get to that in a second. All right. You know, I was back at it here and, um, full-time. And just because my connections there, I was involved in, in bringing short-term uh, teams out there for three, four weeks every summer mm-hmm. and, um, and kind of rekindled a friendship I had there with, uh, with my now wife. So she was there a couple years working as a, uh, as a teacher. And um, so after being back in the U.S. for a couple of years, we started dating and eventually got married. So okay. um, I think we're, we just had our 11th wedding anniversary or 10th anniversary. Sorry, that's one of those things you should remember. <laughs> yeah. So I, I became, you know, all in, completely invested in what we're doing here. A lot of background in our manufacturing, growing up, having done, you know, most of the roles on the shop floor and uh, and whatnot. So uh, I started off as, as drafting and engineering, got more involved in the, the full product development piece of it. And then, you know, just over the years, uh, taking responsibility for more and more pieces of the business. And then, um, you know, with, with that experience, um, well, I, I think another Another thing that happened in those years was, you know, just we, we found that the traditional tools of going to market were cumbersome, mm-hmm. putting something on a web page, printing brochures, like it, we were, it was slowing things down. And so mm-hmm. I just, you know, we, we just jumped into YouTube, said, hey, let's get the word out. You can shoot something and post it in the same day, whatever. We started having a lot of fun with that, which at that time was pretty untraditional for sort of an institutional manufacturer. So that, that was one of a number of things that kind of got me involved in the marketing side of the business because... I knew how the product was made. I knew what our customers were trying to do with it. And I could articulate that to our market in, in sort of a type of marketing. So that, that got me involved in a whole other dimension of the business. Things continue to carry on from there. And then, um, and then more recently, uh, the opportunity came up to step into the role of the CEO and, and continue to expand my experience. And I think one of the unique things I bring to that is just the breadth the understanding of the engineering side, the marketing side, our channel, the product itself, our customer, and bringing all those things together uh, and, and balance. That's the tension to, to bring all those things where um, they all support each other with, with synergy. 
So what's it like being this young CEO? Because we're walking through the warehouse and there's, you know, folks working here that are 10, 20 years older than you that, you know, need to submit to your authority. But that's all always hard when, you know, if, if, yeah. if I got some younger person that's my boss, I'm like, there's something in your, in the mentality. So how do you navigate to win them over to respect you with also key, you know, tell us about the age thing. Cause yeah. that's gotta be interesting. Yeah, it, it can be interesting. And I think it was I probably went through most of that about 10 years ago or so where, well, I think the first piece of it is that just growing up in my role, you know, working in the factory with different odd jobs in high school and whatnot, you know, I was very sensitive to to the perception that, you know, I'm family and so there's any kind of favoritism. So Mm -hmm. I was really committed to earning my own credibility. And, um, and I think that can sometimes cause you to, to work harder, reflect deeper on pulling your own weight. And so I think that was a big piece of it. And so I've always been never assuming my position, but always earning it, mm-hmm. earning, earning the buy-in, the credibility, those types of things. And so I think that was kind of a mindset piece to it. I think the other thing is I've, I've learned that you always listen first and then speak second. You don't speak first and then listen. And, uh, and I think that's, that's really important because there are a lot of people in this business that are way better at what they do than, than I could. And, and my role is really to connect people together and to take their ideas and their contributions and, and build them into, into, the, into the bigger picture. So yeah, I think in, uh, listening before speaking is always really important. And in, in I'm just by nature, not a super authoritarian person. And so um, I think a lot of the, the perceptions around age gap can, can be made up for, for that type of thing. Um, just really valuing contributions of, of everyone and, and some of the people that have been an expert at what they've done for, for longer than, than I have. And so that's, I think, a lot of how you manage it. Yeah. And I mean, your story is inspiring to me and Mark Zuckerberg. And there's all these folks that mm-hmm. are, you think of a CEO, you think of a guy with white hair in the desk <laughs> with the library books behind him at 70. That's kind of a mean spirited guy. And then you see people like Mark Zuckerberg and yourself and these, these young CEOs, because and mm-hmm. the guys listening that are lawn care and landscaping owners, you know, I just interviewed Will Rice. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's 22 years old. Mm-hmm. He started when he was in high school and he didn't have a driver's license. His dad would drive him to his yards. Yep. And so it's like, as the 22 year old, how do you earn respect to your customers when, when, when we have this youth? And yeah. I think like you said, listening, humility, working hard, yep. that's what's going to gain people's respect. Cause there, yep. we do have a, a, a disadvantage of our age, I think, but mm-hmm. we could also have it as an advantage. Yeah. So one thing that's always is just kind of stands out to me sometimes in this, in this business is you see, uh, some of these, some of these folks that are in their teens, yeah, they have no credit history, but they've been working really hard for a number of years and they, they may go into a store, or go to buy a truck or something. And, you know, a salesperson could discredit them. They think, uh, this person's not serious. They're too young to buy this expensive truck or whatever. And then they eventually come in and they buy cash, no financing because they don't have the credit for it. But you know, they've been working hard and at that point in life, they don't have a ton of expenses. And so wisdom comes with age, but age is not necessarily something that's proportional to somebody's ability to work really hard and their work ethic. That's something that is, um, is available to anyone who wants to make a go of it. Yeah, that's beautiful, Ed. And lastly, I want to ask you, you were mentioning about social media, Stanley Genetics been here, Brian mm-hmm. Fullerton, yep. Mitchell Gordy, you got, you know, you pop up in my news feed yep. quite often. Naylor's been down here. Yep. Naylor yep. Taliaferro, we were just at his house. And so you get it, or, or maybe you, you've, you've noticed that this is unique, the lawn care community, as we hang mm-hmm. out on Instagram, yep. on YouTube, mm-hmm. at the live events, like the GIE Plus Expo, it's like we're we all know each other through the internet. So how did you kind of get into that world? When did the light bulb kind of go off? Like, this is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I would say that it's always been, 
there, there's always been an aspect of community that was in this business. It's just that before the internet really existed from a social standpoint, um, it was just much more underground. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I remember from a very young kid going to GIE and, you know, we'd see a lot of the same people and develop those relationships and all that um, over the years. And so I think it was really a, a steep acceleration that happened. And for me, um, it wasn't as much of a intellectual shift in what we were doing. It was just that, hey, we really need to pay attention to this because it, it's picking up speed. And this is how a lot of people uh, shop for their products. Or, or, and also another thing that changed is that, you know, they're back, in, back in the day, people really bought something based on the product features themselves. And now there's an aspect of, of people want to do business with businesses that they understand or businesses that they can relate to, or they, they know what a business stands for and that type of thing. And so I think that um, because of that, it's important for us to engage um, who we are, what we're about, what's our, what's our mission, where do we see this industry going? Where, where do we see the innovation that needs to happen to help people be more profitable and more successful as entrepreneurs? Awesome. Well, I really appreciate uh, your time, Ed. Is there anything else you wanted to share with the audience? Well, I'd appreciate you coming out here and, and catching up with us. Um, you know, I just, I'll, I'll just reiterate some of the things that I said. Um, this business has a lot of opportunity for, for people that um, are motivated and, and, you know, desire to be successful. There's huge opportunity and uh, it's just a matter of hard work. Sometimes it's not always the easiest, but certainly can be very rewarding. And, um, and that's, that's how we see ourselves as a, as a provider um, and, and the ability to, to help people do that better. That's our mission and um, and glad to be part of it. And if someone's out there listening and say, I want to be like Mitchell Gordy and stand on my right mower, how, how do you, can you, do you have to go to the dealer to buy it? Can you, yep. where do you yep. do? Our dealers are super important from a servicing standpoint. A lot of them can turn repairs in a day or two. And that's just really huge to us. Um, you can go on our website and look up where your nearest dealer is. Uh, you can also request a demo if you're interested in trying out the equipment. And then um, I'm out there on social media, Facebook, look me up at Ed Wright, or uh, I'm also on Instagram and, and we've also got our company accounts there. So I'm out there and uh, you look for me, I'm sure you'll, you'll find the me. The right choice. Yep. Always glad to be in touch with folks. <laughs> awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, Ed. Thank you. Sure thing. Thank you. Great interview, Paul. And speaking of our friend Mitchell, he gave us a sweet five-star review on Apple. Mitchell writes, I've had the pleasure of being featured twice on the Green Industry Podcast. Both times were very enjoyable. Paul, listen to this now. Paul is a true professional and a master of his craft. Between him, and he even gives a, a shout-out here to, to me, Mr. Producer. Between him and Mr. Producer, they run a top-shelf operation. I highly recommend this podcast to anyone looking for valuable information from pros in our industry. Thank you, Mitchell. We appreciate that. Hey, we do love five-star reviews around here. Don't come with any of these lame three-star and four-star reviews, only five stars. Hey, once again, uh, that email address to reach out to our advertising department, greenindustrypodcast at gmail.com, greenindustrypodcast at gmail.com. And before we uh, roll the show close please visit echo-usa.com and check out their X series of products. Have an awesome and productive day. You've been listening to the Green Industry Podcast with Paul Jamison. Thanks again to Echo for powering our first annual summer road tour. Check out Echo's product line at echo-usa.com. And don't forget to smash that subscribe button to stay up to date with the newest episodes as the tour rolls on. 